give us songs for the morning sun as it was pouring from your mouth. You gave us a lifetime of blessing, a long time of resting in your house. You give us all that Hello listeners, welcome to season two of Create in Me with Rebecca Craver and Brian Dixon. Thank you for tuning in. And we're glad you've joined us for this conversation about the connections between worship and everyday life. Hello, Create Me listeners. This is Brian Dixon and Rebecca Craver. And we're so glad to have you with us today and to welcome our guest, the Reverend Tracy Robinson, who together with the Reverend Rhonda Robinson are organizers, leaders, and pastors of Iglesia Esperanza for Bethlehem. Uh, which was envisioned in 2009 as a mission church to the Lehigh Valley Latino community and is very much alive today as a mission church of the Lehigh Valley Latino community. So, uh, Pastor Tracy, our our friend and brother, uh, welcome to the show. Thanks for being on with us today. Uh, Thanks. Thanks for having me. It's a joy. Now, now Rebecca and I were classmates with with you and Rhonda, Mm -hmm. and we know Mm -hmm. you and and know some a little bit about the Esperanza ministry could you perhaps tell our listeners who maybe don't uh, give them the story a little bit of background on uh, on Esperanza for Bethlehem well Esperanza started um, a little after 2009 I think 2009 was just a calling for a, a church plant hmm. uh, from the district northern province district of the Moravian church I uh, started out walking the street um, 2009 in August. Um, then by September uh, 17 was when we um, named ourselves Esperanza for Bethlehem. It used to be known as a Latino ministry of the Moravian Church. Uh, we didn't want it to segregate ourselves so much as only to the Latino community. So we call it Esperanza for Bethlehem in English and Spanish so that everybody can feel welcome. Uh, we started at St. John Windish Lutheran Church. Um, actually, um, my first gathering was at College Hill Moravian Church on the north side. And nobody came over that area because it's on the north side. And so uh, I wanted to do something on the south side, which is the place that we actually um, at the beginning wanted to be at. So we came over and somebody told me that there was a space at, at St. John. So we spoke to the folks at St. John Windish Lutheran Church uh, and we were able to come in and be part of that group. Uh, the first worship um, or Bible study was for people and two of them was from Germany. So it was only two of us uh, native folks from Bethlehem. And then from there, we went into the fellowship hall and it just grew um, ministry outreach to the community. I, the reason how the people knew that I was there is that I went down the street for eight months um, gathering information, <clears throat> walking the streets and just finding out from different um, businesses in the area to find out what they're doing uh, so we don't duplicate what they're doing or put them out of business, <clears throat> like music classes. We didn't want the music class down the, down the block to lose clients, so we try not to do what they were doing. Um, food pantry, we try not to do what they were doing down the block from the um, Hispanic Council. Um, so we, that was my role to find out what we... We weren't going to come into the neighborhood and, and try to do better than somebody else when they're already doing it. So we choose to take care of the kids because the kids used to come and 
we used to feed them um, crackers and juice. And then some of the folks from us um, that visited and helped with the after school program said that that wasn't healthy. And so we decided um, and give them real healthy food. And that's where it started. And Pastor Rhonda came and joined us a little while after. And she run most of the ministry um, um, with the kids, feeding, um, doing homework. I was there most of the day um, just as a male figure in the group to make sure everything was going right. You know, there's always a need for both parents to be uh, involved. So we were like grandparents to these kids. And, and then the, the rest of the members start joining us and helping us in the kitchen and, and feeding the kids. And then we had volunteers from all the different churches in, in Bethlehem. And not only Moravian churches. We have six other Moravian churches in the area. But not only the Moravian churches in Bethlehem, but Emmaus, um, Palmer Moravian, Shenick, Calvary. Everybody took part in it. And then we have people from the Presbyterian Church that helped people from the Methodist Church. So every denominations and non-denominations came by to help tutor the kids. Um, and that's how we started, um, 2009. Um, now we're over 10 years um, in ministry. We had 10 years at St. John, and now we have our own location on Fort Street, uh, we, where we haven't started the ministry yet, but we have a location for worship. But now with the things with the COVID uh, virus, we are not able to worship in the building. So we're doing worship online uh, at this time. So that's that's how our history started. Um, very interesting. Um, <clears throat> nobody knew how it was going to be, um, how, how it needed to be started. So I was like a paratrooper just dropped into the south side of Bethlehem to figure things out. And that's how I, I, my role started. The district says, go and figure what to do. And, and this is what it came out to be. And it's working very well. Um, have a lot of connections in the community, um, been involved with the mayor office. Didn't have much time there, so I had to come out of that group because there was so much ministry going on. So I had to focus a little bit on what we were doing and do it well. So that's where we are right now. Um, I don't know if you have any other more questions, but that's how we started the ministry. I think one of the things we were interested in, I can't believe it's been 10 years, Tracy. (laughs) Wow. Was thinking about because we talk a lot about worship and, and the ways that we use spaces that we're in and that kind of thing. And we actually were talking about um, how exciting it is that you and Rhonda are having this ministry opportunity to create the space for your ministry. Um, Cause I know I've seen pictures on Facebook of, you know, you guys are kind of re- doing some remodeling in the church where you are and, and, and kind of making the space, what you need it to be for the ministry that, that it will hold. And so I'd love to hear you talk about like, what are your hopes for that space? Um, you know, what was it like when you first saw it? Were there things that you were like, Oh, that's great. Let's keep that. And there are things that were, you were like, let's not keep that. Let's change that. And why, and why and how you made those decisions. I'm just curious about, about how, how are you making that space? Your well, own? it's, it, it's not only me and Pastor Rhonda. It's all the members of Esperanza. They had a tour, um, the first time we walked in the building, everybody came in and they were excited about it because now we have a sanctuary, um, which mm-hmm. we didn't have before. We were in a fellowship hall that we call a messy worship because all, everything is going on at the same time. But this is a little more um, structural in a way that it looks like a worship space. But actually, our idea was to take out all the pews 
all the pews and get rid of them. If somebody need them to make a, a picnic bench or whatever, we didn't care. We wanted space for the kids to run around. <laughs> we were mm-hmm. we were we were so revolutionary that we were about to put a gym, a basketball hoop inside the church. So just to have the kids inside. So that's how radical um thinking that was going on and then um we couldn't get rid of the pews so we decided to um just make it the way it is right now since we don't have anywhere downstairs to go yet because it's not completed and that would be the place where the kids would be playing um eating doing homework uh, we have a kitchen downstairs but also we have a big yard now uh, we didn't have that space outside we have a parking lot so we have plenty of spaces for the kids to run up and down now we were just thinking about in the winter when they can't go outside so have more space upstairs but i guess that will happen in the future but we got mm-hmm. some beautiful stained glass windows so pastor ronda said uh i don't know how we can have ball throwing around and things throwing around with those big five thousand dollar glass windows on each window <laughs> we'll be in trouble if they get broken so we decided to just leave it as a sanctuary, uh, a, a space of uh, where we can come and energize ourselves as ministers and, and congregation on Sunday, uh, find some little quiet space for us. And that's how it turned out to be. It's a quiet space, it's a relaxing space, it's a spiritual space. But it's still moving and it's still uh, morphing into something else that, that we are not even sure what it's going to end up completely looking like we had big big screen on the wall and now we have monitors on the wall we we're going to go live on 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 online when we go back to the church so technology makes it making the space change as we go move along but we still have you know it's a worship space but we don't know how it's going to look once we get back into the building again oh that's pretty exciting i like i like the fluidity of that like that we don't know. And it's, it doesn't sound like we, we need to know what we're going to do. It's like, no, we'll just let the space sort of be what we need it to be as we move along, which I wish some more established congregations that we had that ability to sort of see our space as yes. adaptable. And I think in some ways it makes it hard if you can't change anything, you know, cause you can't respond yeah. to the moment yeah. um, it is. that you're in. It is. And that's what I like about being a part of this ministry is it's, Nothing, written, nothing is written in stone. You know, everything is mm-hmm. movable. Everything is, um, it, you, you're able to imagine the future somehow and put your hand to it. Meaning that you could try something and you could make mistakes and you could try something else. And nobody is going to condemn you. Nobody is going to come on top of you. As long as we have the structure taking care of as long as we're taking care of the building in a way that the district wants us to take and we're responsible for the building and we know that it costs a lot of money to run and we want it to be uh, well kept but we're using it Mm -hmm. to feed the spiritual part as well as the physical part of the community not only one part we are not a one-sided ministry it's a we're a dual side ministry and so we have to feed all of that and if if that's what require for our building to change to become then we will hope to do that do whatever you need to do to spread the word of god in this place around your community and this is what we feel eventually called to do and maybe the the calling will change as we as we go on and 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 that's the good thing about 
the ministry. Uh, we're not defined by just mm -hmm. the name. We're defined by the people around it. Mm -hmm. I, I, a lot of times I think Rebecca and I consider whether or not a church's mission is shaped by its worship or is the worship that a church does shaped by its, its feeling about mission, its sense of calling. And I, I've heard you speak about the involvement of, uh, of children at Esperanza, mm -hmm. the, the outreach to children, uh, providing meals, providing um, just love and care and presence and support. Um, and it was interesting to me to hear how much of a big consideration that has been for the worship space even. I mean, that's, that is lovely. And, and like you said, radical to me to think of you guys putting a, a basketball hoop inside the church, and, but wanting to make that space um, for the children that, that it feels to me are a central part of Esperanza's calling and ministry. So do you think the, the way that, that worship is experienced and, and is expressed by the Esperanza community, does the worship... What is the connection between Esperanza's sense of mission and, and the way that Esperanza uh, organizes and, and conducts worship? You know, are, they, are they very closely related? Does the one shape or propel the other? You know, does the worship propel the mission or does the mission kind of propel and inform the way that, the, the way that your community worships? Well, um... It's hard to say because hmm. this is a new experience for us. Hmm. But I can tell you one thing. We have not um, fed the kids yet. And the kids are not in the building doing homework yet because we have not been open to the community yet. But when we were at St. John, our energy comes from taking care of the kids every day. week. And if hmm. that was removed from the the ministry itself, the church will just fail completely. Mm. The people would no longer want to be part of that because that is the main thing that attracted them to us. They know what it is uh, to be a church, but they didn't know what it is to be a ministry. And the ministry just, it didn't take over. It just became one of the same. But the ministry is done from Monday to Friday and the Sunday worship for us was a time of re-energizing our members, re-energizing the pastor, getting him to remember where he's getting his strength from. What both pastors, where are we getting our strength from? Is on that Sunday where we can worship, sing the songs, do the prayers, do the concerns, do the meeting our, our families, giving them a hug, giving them a kiss, giving them communion, giving them whatever they need to re-energize them to go back out on Monday and start over again to take mm -hmm. care of these kids because taking care of kids is a challenge. Mm -hmm. It's a big challenge when you mm -hmm. walk in and the kids are telling you, we don't believe in God, just give us the food. Mm -hmm. It's a challenge when you know that these kids are fighting out there, they're seeing eye to eye out there, but when they walk in, they, they're at peace. They're gathering together. They're, they're not, it's, it's a safe zone. Mm -hmm. And, and we make it a safe zone and they understand it's a safe zone and, and, and they get the scripture readings and they learn how to pray. At the beginning, when we started feeding the kids and we, we tried to teach them the Moravian grace, it was a rebellion against it. 
nobody were doing it. Everybody was upset. Why we have to do this? Blah, blah, blah. So it took a Pastor Rhonda a time to teach what it is to be grateful, what it is, this, how this meal got here, and, and teaching them little by little. And then afterward, they would fight to get up and pray. Each one would want to pray before even they walk in the building good enough. Am I, going, am I able to pray today? So <laughs> everybody wanted to pray and everybody learned the prayer. And it, it morphed into something very well. It just a simple thing as praying over the meal changed lives. Changed mm. the way kids see what they receive as not just something that they, they are entitled to, but something that was given freely to them. And somebody had to actually buy it and bring it. And they need to be grateful for it because this is how it, it, it shows a grateful for it. it teach them to be grateful for what they receive. And their mannerism change. And their, their, their attitude change. It's no longer fighting up and going on in the building. It's, it's, it's just, I want to play with my friend. I want to sit down by my friend. I want to do something with my friend. And they, they probably don't even see each other um, during the week. But they only, they, uh, during school time. But they see each other when they walk into that building. We have kids coming from the, the um, school district, Bethlehem School District, and we have kids coming from the private district, meaning that these kids are never going to meet each other anywhere huh. else. One use uniform and one don't use uniform. And they still mingle because they're still part of this community. They live right down the block, but they don't get to see each other. But when they come here, they get to meet each other all over again. And that's where the connection happens. But we need the Sunday time for us um, ministry workers to, to get our energy back, to get our spiritual energy in tune so that we can go back out six days a week and do what God has called us to do. So we can't do one without the other one. If we were only a worship um, church with only Sunday and Wednesday Bible study, it's not mm -hmm. going to work. A lot of people that came mm -hmm. to Esperanza was telling me that they left churches because churches weren't doing what they're supposed to do in their community. And people used to come and promise to do things for the community. And when the things get tough, they walk away and leave them behind. And so we promised that we were going to do the best not to leave this place and to have a ministry here that they are going to be in charge of. Not Pastor Ronda or Pastor Tracy, but the members of Esperanza will be the one in charge. So they live here. We give them the tools they need. We give them the place they need to do what they need to do for their brothers and sisters that live around them. And that's where, that's why they're still here. Mm -hmm. I spent 10 months doing worship in my house. Mm -hmm. 10 months because we, we lost the space at St. John. 10 months in my house with 40 to 50 people in a very small area we had to put 25 kids outside we had to get a tent outside to put all the kids outside and all the adults inside to find a space for worship in my house for 10 months just imagine that mm. but we never give up and the people that were members our members never gave up they keep they keep coming every sunday because they are connected to each other we are all connected and they keep bringing new members and when we move to this new place those new members came with us. And they, they might not be committed members to the Moravian Church, but they're committed members to Esperanza for Bethlehem ministry and church. Mm -hmm. So it's not like they have a 
uh, membership card. We have not done membership card ever. They're just part mm-hmm. of Esperanza. And, and, and that's how the ministry works. It, it's connected. Both of them are connected. One can't do without the other in any way. Yeah, we've talked a lot about how um, we see worship as as so relational that, you know, worship can't exist outside of the relationships people have with one another, which is what I'm hearing you talk about, you know, that that these relationships and the connections with the community are what make worship there possible and worship there makes those relationships possible. Isn't that how the church is supposed to be? Um, That it's all, it's all a whole kind of encompassing reality for life that we live together in this way all the time. And the acts of worship and the acts of service all, all come from that same relationship we have with God and, and sort of spread outward, build on our ability to serve and build on our ability to worship and, our ability just to open ourselves more fully to what God is doing. Mm-hmm. It sounds really exciting. It is. It That's is. great. What are the, what are the ways that um, your worship at Esperanza, does it look different in terms of like how, how you actually practice worship in your space for those of us that are in, in maybe more traditional worship spaces? Like what are the kinds of ways that you that you worship, that you are finding meaningful for your community? Well, it's not like a regular Moravian church, I can tell you. Everybody that comes from other Moravian churches, says, is this a Moravian church? I said, mm, yes and no. But it is what mm-hmm. you, if it's something that you need it to be, it is. Um, it, mm-hmm. When they walk in, they hear, um, they see scripture on the wall, they on the screen, they, they read in two languages. They have people lifting up their hands and saying amen. You have kids um, involved. You, we used to have a band before. Uh, we don't have a band anymore. Uh, we hope to get one again so that we can play all the music that we need. Um, but it, it, it never looked like a traditional church worship. It, it's so much things going on. And it, 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 it is set up in a way that people have the opportunity to stop what the pastor is doing because at that moment the Holy Spirit got a hold of them and tell and, and they felt like they can't hold it in anymore. They need to pray for something or someone or they need to say something and the pastor just need to step away. And that's how we mm. worship. It it I know some people can't do it because maybe I work so hard to put this program together for the whole week and I don't want anybody to step in and stop the momentum. That don't happen at Esperanza. It, it, it is fluid. It is open. It is, um, I ask a lot of questions. I'm an interactive pastor. I, I pick people brains while I'm worshiping. They pick my brains while I'm worshiping. They have the opportunity to ask me questions right then and there about any passages that they feel like they have question about because they might not see me again or they might not be able to, to, to remember what they want to ask. And it's an opportunity to do that. And, and, and then we go from the pastor had his time to prepare um, sermon. They get to the point and everybody start opening up because they want, they want, we want to have a conversation and then we go to having a conversation and it turned, it turned into something different. And, and it's okay. For me, it's okay when people want to step in and say what the scripture is doing instead of me dictating what I think the scripture is telling me 
to them and they're not getting it. I'd rather hear from them back to me that they're getting it. I ask questions, we interact, I move around. And that's how it is. And, and a lot of people might not like that. Um, but it's a little more structured right now since the space is different. But they still, it's still a liberty to be part of the worship event that's going on. They can stop and say, Pastor, could you, could you play a different song today for us? We feel like we need to hear this song. And my son is upstairs in the technology department. He just switch on and put on whatever song they need. And we sing to our heart's content. And if that's all we have to do is sing all day, we sing all day. If prayer is all we have to do and that's what the community needs at that time, that's what we do. And it's hard for me to tell you that what's going to happen on Sunday, I know exactly. No, mm. I go in there to be amazed. I go in to worship to be amazed, to change, to for lives to be changed, for the Holy Spirit to take a hold of the, the worship space and do whatever he has to do. Mm. And it's wild. It's crazy, but that's how we are. And it works. Yeah. You know, I think our churches are often, you know, blending of, you know, Christian spiritual traditions, sometimes ecumenical traditions, when we have congregations that are comprised of people from different denominational backgrounds. Mm-hmm. My sense is that Esperanza, you have the additional layer of, of different cultural, different nationality uh, groups. I, I feel like mm-hmm. I remember talking to you at, at, at one point where, you know, that the, the Latino community is not a homogenous cultural group, that you have very distinct uh, cultures and identities, depending on someone's background, if they're from El Salvador, if they're from Puerto Rico, if they're from Nicaragua. What, what has been your experience of, of the blending or the, I guess the navigating even different cultural um, backgrounds and traditions within Esperanza? How has that worked for you guys? I, I thought it was going to be difficult hmm. in a way. In a, in a way, I thought it was going to be really Hectic, hmm. hectic, but in a way, it feeds me in a way that I learn culture. I learn that the word that I'm using today in worship might not work the next time because it's not a good word in the Puerto Rican community. It might not be a good word in the Dominican Republic, hmm. uh, folks. So when I use it again, I, I can see the faces change. Ah. So I, I, I get a little warning. Of, mm, all right, then I ask, okay, um, I'm sorry. Um, I, I already used the word. What is the best word to be used? Uh, teach me. Teach me. I'm here to learn from you. I am a Nicaraguan. I don't speak much Spanish. I speak more English. And so I need to learn more about my Latino background in every different aspect. in uh, As uh, words and mannerism, as the way they move around. Um, um, we learn so much. I went back to Nicaragua and I was using Dominican words. And I had to catch myself and say, oh, oh, that's not a Nicaraguan word. They don't understand what I'm saying. So I had to go back to my Nicaraguan mode. <laughs> so it, it, it connects to you. It, <laughs> it sinks deep down into you in a way that, that you become part of their culture. They accept me as a Dominican. They accept me as a Puerto Rican. They accept me as, a, as an Honduranian. And I, I go like, well, I'm all, I'm all of that. I'm all of that. I'm okay. If you want to take mm. me to Dominican Republic, I can relate to it. If you want to take me to Puerto Rico, I can relate to it mm. because I got my training right here. 
and and they accept me into the community. Their their families accept me, and they don't know much about Nicaragua, but they can hear it in our in our announcements, in our family concerns, in in our the news. Um, but 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 I learn more from them because it's just the way I am. I mean, when I was living in Florida, I learned from the Cuban community because I used to work in Hialeah, hmm. and I learned to talk like the like the Cuban. And then when I came here, there's not much Cubans, so I learned to talk like the Dominicans and the Puerto Ricans. And it's different. It, the words are different. The meanings are different. Um, it, it, it's just amazing that you have seven to eight nationalities in your church that are all Latinos. And then you have American nationalities. You have, you have white, you have black, you have Chinese. Man, when I started the ministry, we had a gentleman coming here from China and his wife used to come to the casino and she used to gamble and he used to come to church to us every single Sunday and he asked me to go with him to China to start a church just like Esperanza <laughs> I told him <laughs> I told him I can't I don't have energy right now to, to start a church in China I'm barely starting this one over here <laughs> oh my. so you know we have people from all different walks mm. I mean if we had called ourselves Latino church, we would be so segregated. And in our family, mm -hmm. in my family alone, we have white, we have black, we have Latino, we have Chinese, and all part of the same family. So just imagine who would not show up at my church if my family could not identify that they were Latino or somebody else's family that got connected with another um, background and they would say well only half of my family can come because the rest is not latino they're black or white so how would they be welcome so we had to think very hard to understand that where i'm coming from i'm a mixed race i'm what you call a mestizo and that's the same idea mm -hmm. we use in the ministry to connect to every single person in the ministry and everybody feel welcome because they can relate to it it's in both languages and so you said that I, you thought I it would thought, be harder, but it's actually I thought it was going kind to be of found its way. But then I remember that I grew up in New York City as a caseworker. I grew up in First Church in Manhattan, where my father-in-law was the pastor. And in that church, they had, mm -hmm. I think it was 10, 8 to 10 different Caribbean nationalities in that church. I, 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 you can't believe what, mm -hmm. <laughs> where God put you as training for these times. God mm. put me in that church for training for to deal with nationalities from all different walks of life. And I can't believe, when I go back and think where I was before, and I go like, wow, if I weren't there, I wouldn't be able to relate to this now. If I wasn't walking the streets of New York City, trying to help the homeless, trying to feed them, trying to clothe them, trying to even give them shower, delouse them, I would, how would I learn to relate to the needs of these people here on the south side of Bethlehem? So we have to go back sometime in, in our history, in our past, and find out where God took us to the desert to train us for the mountaintop right now. And, and that's how I learn. That's how I learn as I go. Mm. I use what I've learned when I was young. It, it's, it's I, really I cool. wish the church still had the same kind of respect and humility around culture. Because when I look at the story of the Apostle Paul, you know, when he was interacting with a, a, he, a Hebrew audience um, 
or when he was talking to the Greeks mm -hmm. or, you know, when Peter is proclaiming in Jerusalem and there's people from all over the known world. And uh, when Philip is talking to the, the Ethiopian and, you know, I, there is so much culture and diversity and, and people in the, the, the scriptural stories interacting and, and right. trying to understand one another's culture and language, but together trying to hear and to express something about the goodness and the, and the works of God. Like, mm -hmm. yeah, there's so much cultural diversity and, and again, crossing barriers and, and, <laughs> and, and into one another's experience and, and humility and grace, you know, teach me what you mean when you say that word, teach me what, right. what this meal means, teach me, and I just, I, I would love to see so much more of that in so much more of our church, you know, because that to me is, it's part of the church's DNA. Yeah, we are, I mean, I've learned so much. Hmm. I've learned so much from everybody that walked through that door. I learned so much from our kids that are walking through. I learned so much from my neighbor in front. I, I hang out in the front of my house every time I come home. I sit on the veranda. My wife says, who are you talking to? I said, everybody. <laughs> Anybody. I know everybody in the block. <laughs> I say hello to everybody. And they know me. They know, hey, pastor, how you doing? Some of the kids call me uh, Mr. Pastor. But they don't know my name. So uh, my, my granddaughter <laughs> has a friend that she'll scream from the, across the street because they can't go over to each other's house. So they talk from, from front porch to front porch and say, hi, pastor. hi Mr. Pastor. <laughs> And that's how they call me. And they call my oh, wife Pastora. So Not Pastor Rhonda or Reverend. They call her Pastora. Mm -hmm. And everybody knows who they're talking about once they say Pastora. <laughs> so we, we have our identity mm -hmm. in the community. And, and if we were anywhere else, when I came here, we, we moved to the hills all the way up on the other side of Linwood ter Linfield Terrace. And nobody came to our house. I'm like, I can't be up here. I'm sorry. Nice house very beautiful, a lot of amenities. And I'm like, uh-uh. This is not what I called for. I have to go back down where the people are, right on 6th Street, two blocks from the church. Because that's where the need is. It might not be the best best neighborhood to some people, but to us it's the best neighborhood because nothing has happened to us since we've been here. People are afraid to come over to the south side. Why? I don't know. But we've been living here for a lot more, no, five years now. And we haven't had any problem. We go out on the street, we walk on the street. There's kids all over the place. People walking down the block. Nearly everybody knows me. I could never do that up on the hill. I'll have to get in my car to drive to every little place. You know? And mm. so I, I, I feel like mm -hmm. this is just how I, I, I grew up in Nicaragua. I, I, I used to go to the villages and I used to see how pastors used to sit on the veranda of the community, just starting a church from scratch. He was to sit and do Bible study on somebody's veranda and didn't have a house, didn't have a church yet. And the people used to come and they used to bring him eggs and chicken and rice for his home. And then afterward, the first thing they built was a church for the pastor so that they can gather. And that's how I grew up. That's the Mesquito community that I grew up. That when we go to around Puerto Cabezas in Nicaragua, that's how I, I knew how the church started to exist in those communities and i have a vivid example of all the pastors that i knew when i was a child that used to go out and do that so 
is somehow <laughs> I grew up in an environment where we started from scratch. I'm blessed, man. I, I every day I, I don't know if I can go back to a regular settings in a church that is already established. I, I really don't know how I feel about that, but I, I think I, I like what I'm doing right now and I think I'm hopefully I'm doing the right thing. Well that that raises so as as Esperanza mm-hmm. is established and, and continues to to strengthen and further establish itself, how do you help a church to kind of guard against that becoming too comfortable or starting to see itself as as the established you know it's it's not a challenge that i've had to face because i've generally served churches that have you know been pretty pretty well established long established with a lot of inherited structure and tradition Mm -hmm. but in starting something uh, from the ground up how do you kind of build into the church's practice its worship its governance you know a sense of I don't know that 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 um, that that fire in the belly kind of, you know, that that hunger for for the ministry that that relying on the spirit. How do you how do you keep a community kind of on the edge of that and and, and stay fresh? Well, you got to you got to listen a lot. Listen to the community a lot. Listen to the members a lot. Listen to what's going on around you and be irrelevant, real and relevant not, you know, it's okay to go to the scriptures and it's okay to go to the history of the scriptures, but we need to relate to it today's date in what's happening now. And, and that's how people identify scriptures. Well, I know what happened then. You told me and I read it in the Bible, but how does that relate to what's happening to me now? How can I get out of my situation? Or how can I benefit from what's happening to me, how I can I look at what's happening to me in a different way so that I can survive for tomorrow. The scripture is there, but I can't understand it because I can't put it in today's context. But you can. You've been through a lot. You've been through war. You've been through segregation. You've been through um, coming from a poorest, smallest town in Central America to the biggest city called New York City and locking yourself up for two weeks in there apartment scared to go outside because you don't know what outside could bring and then when you go back outside when you go outside for the first time you feel the freedom to not want to come back in because you discover a new world and how does that relate to our situation now because a lot of us come from a different country a lot of us come from situation that is nearly like what you're going through but we didn't know how to deal with it when we came to this country but we see that you dealt with it so how can what we do and what we went through um, can we work together into the concept of worship? And how can we use that to reach out to other people that are going to come in and have might have the same situation? Uh, and so we have, I'm not the only one that preached. Pastor Ronda is not the mm-hmm. only one that preaches. We have three other preachers. I learned from my father-in-law because my father-in-law in Palm Beach Moravian Church, every church that he goes to, he finds apprentice to learn what he is doing and teach these young pastors to to learn what the church is all about. And, and, and that's where the example comes from. Mm. They always need to be somebody in your church that you can rely on. That even when they ask you to go to another church, there's a period of time when there's no one at that church. So who's going to take care of that church if you didn't train some people to do what you know to do? 
that's the same example that I've been using ever since I, I became an ordained pastor. Because that's mm. the example I was taught when I was a child, when I was younger, mm. when I was when I used to get up and read the Bible and my legs used to shake and my my father-in-law says, go on, go on, keep going, keep going. It's going to get better. Keep going. Get in front of the people. Do what you have to do. Mm. Pray, pray, read liturgy, do this, do this. And he just stand up and watch and see us grow and encourage us mm. through that. And that's what I, I think all pastors should have an apprentice. And that's, I think, I think the apostles did the same. They always had somebody alongside them that carries somebody that knows what they were doing. In all the ministry, they went out two by two. We should be focusing on one day not being there and leaving somebody behind because we are mobile. We, we could be called to another place anytime, but the people are going to still be here. And we need to worry about who we leave behind or the group that we leave behind so that this ministry can continue doing what it's got to what they got to do. So that way people are not following us as pastors. They're following God. They're following the ministry. Because we get so hang up on they need us. And we need to cut that cord of you need me. No, I'm gonna teach you everything that I know so you learn to rely on each other. Because I might not be here all the time. And I, I if you if you're gonna open a church on the south side of Bethlehem. And just imagine, just imagine if Pastor Tracy is the only one that can do it. What would happen when he leaves? The district going to have to shut another church down? I, I don't mm. think that's a good Im image of what the church should be. I think the church should go long before that pastor is gone. Because the people are still here. And the people are who the, are the ones that are, owner, are making themselves ownership. Of the church ministry, uh, the church ministry. I, I always use the example of Avis rent a car because in Avis rent a car, every every single employee mm -hmm. has a stake in the company. It's not owned by one corporation CEO. Mm -hmm. Everyone has a stake in a way that when they when their things go up in Wall Street, when their value go up in Wall Street, each member gets a percentage more. Each one of them will make sure that that car is clean, that got, that car is up to par, that, that that vehicle is the best because, hmm, that's my bread winning. You know, I, I get a salary, but that's my business. Mm -hmm. Each one of them owns it. So if everybody in the church can own the ministry in that way, you would see a different value of taking care of the building. You wouldn't have to stress it out. You wouldn't have to <laughs> go behind them every minute to do things. They want to do it. People are come, used to come to cook. We had so many cooks in the kitchen. We had to share them up. Everybody wants to do, everybody wants to do something. And it's because, not only because of the food, it's because they start making connection to the kids. They become uh, some of these kids' aunt. You know, in, in Latino, they call you tia, even though you're not blood um, aunt. Everybody become an aunt. Everybody become a grandma. Everybody becomes cuz, you know? And they're not really blood related, but it's because of that relationship mm -hmm. that's been built in the ministry that they would walk in and go look to that person and say hello to that person. These kids would walk straight into the kitchen and have to say hello to all the ladies that are in there before they go down and sit. They look for Pastor Ronda. As soon as they walk in, the kids will run to Pastor Ronda. Like if 
It's all her grandchildren. And they cannot walk mm. out without saying goodbye to Pastor Rhonda. With mm. me, they say, ah, he's okay. He's all right there. <laughs> he plays with us. Pastor Rhonda sent him to send me mm-hmm. to, to, to put them in order, and I end up playing baseball with them. So, mm, Pastor Tracy, no worry about him. But Pastor Rhonda, she's <sighs> very strict, but she loves us. And we know mm. she loves us. And, 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 and So that's it's the mm. relationship building. It's, the community has so much to give us, so much to teach us. We just have to spend a lot more time listening. And it feels to me like the, the worship, it's an opportunity to actually demonstrate exactly what you're saying, that, that this is a ministry that everybody has a stake in, mm-hmm. everybody shares in, everybody participates in, everybody helps to lead. But if even if you say that that's what your church is, but every week you only see one person talking, you only hear a small group of people who are always in charge of everything in worship, it, there's kind of a disconnect. Right. And, and, and it's, it, I'm really feeling, as I hear you, Tracy, that our worship should demonstrate this kind of shared leadership, this partnership that, that it isn't just, oh, yeah, we're willing to share out some of the different tasks and responsibilities of the various ministries, but that the worship, too, is something that everybody is invited to participate in. And whether that's you want to do a reading whether that's you, you want to offer a prayer, whether that's you want to share a little testimony or, or bring a message, that the worship should be more, I think, as you use the word, a little messier, mm-hmm. you know, a little, a little more rooted in community mm-hmm. rather than just the people who really enjoy doing it or who it's felt to be they're, they're good at it, so we'll let them do it. It's okay if somebody maybe isn't as quote-unquote good at it, it's that you're bringing something forward from your heart and it's that the community together can receive these gifts to me is kind of a vision of, of a broad, a broader base of leadership and participation in worship too, to reflect what I'm hearing you say is kind of the nature of the church. It's everybody. It's everybody. We all pitch in, we all help out. It's the work of the people as the word liturgy means. Right. Right. And then sometimes mm-hmm. you get to church and you, you didn't expect maybe 20 people and you get there with 60 people. And you go like, uh, 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 okay, um, Father, I, I, you marvel, you amaze me. I'm not going to worry about it. I used to worry about it every Sunday. Mm. How many people come into church? Oh, my, my, blah, blah. I, I stopped doing that. I, I just let say, God, you do your thing. You amaze me. You, you, you make it be whatever it be. And when I walk in there, the people say, well, it's five of us here. It's 20 of us here. It's 30 of us here. But we're here. So let's worship. We don't rely on the numbers that walk in the door. We rely, we rely on the, the spirit that's involved in the worship. And even if it's one person we touch that Sunday, it's well-deserved um, ministry that's going on for that Sunday. So, I love the idea yep. of being amazed yep. and preparing to be amazed in worship. But what a, what a wonderful like perspective for everyone, not just worship leaders, to say, like, I'm, gonna, I'm coming to worship. And I'm prepared to be amazed by what God is doing. I, I wonder a lot about how what how we come into worship mm-hmm. affects how we um, receive in worship. You know, do we, if we come prepared to find something, do we find it? And if we come prepared not to find anything, do we not find it? And that and that's across the board. That doesn't matter what worship looks like. That doesn't matter how many people are involved or not involved, or how as you said, how many people are in the room or how many people aren't there that day 
the way that you come in and bring yourself into worship means a lot and right. can really affect yeah. what you are able to perceive God doing. Well, we've kind of come up to our time. Is there anything else that you'd like mm, to share with us? Just, as we, um, just um, keep us in your prayers close because up. we don't know what's going to happen next. I mean, we know what's going to happen. Worship will continue. Worship will continue. <laughs> we, the, 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 the rocks will cry out, okay? And I don't want the rocks mm-hmm. alone crying out. I want to be part of the worship experience. Mm-hmm. But um, I don't know when we'll gather together again. I don't know how long down the road that would be. But we're looking forward to using the space that God has blessed us with to the best of our ability. And we hope that we will touch lives. We hope that we'll change lives. And we hope not us, but the Holy Spirit through us. Because we, we can't do anything. We're just <laughs> we're just vessels. Um, and if we can accept that we're just vessels, that we're not the one doing the change, mm-hmm. that something greater than I, someone greater than I is doing the change, I think it's easier to, to do the ministry that way. And just, like I said, just keep us in your prayers. Keep uh, praying that we stay healthy. And for the families that are, that are going to be involved, mm-hmm. you know, and whoever walks through that door. For the first time, you're welcome, and you'll always be family once you walk through the door. Well, Create Me listeners, this wraps up season two of Create in Me. We hope you've enjoyed the conversation about worship and what's at the heart of how and why we worship together. In the next few months, I'm sure that we're going to be discovering new ways of worship, and Brian and I will be excited to explore those new things and some of those old ones too as we join you again with season three, starting in the fall. Thanks for listening. You can follow us on Instagram at Create and Me Worship and on Facebook at Create and Me. If you have questions, thoughts, or ideas you'd like to share with us, email us at moraviancreateandme at gmail.com. A special thanks to David Melby Gibbons, Rachel Marie, and John Robinson for our theme music. Check them out at Dust of the Saints on Facebook and rachelmarie.com. As always, keep on creating. Yeah.